Hello, and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I speak to Representative Ro Connor, who represents California's 17th District, but I wanted to record a breaking news update because one of the things that I talk about with Ro Khanna is Yemen, because he himself introduced legislation on Yemen, and that was blocked by the Republicans uh, in the Congress. But as he explains in the interview, the good thing is that Senator Sanders and Senator Mike Lee had their own resolution on Yemen. And so here is a breaking news update, because when I spoke to Roe on Wednesday, the Senate had not yet voted. And it hasn't totally made it through, but there was a major victory. And to explain that, I'm turning it over to our good friends at Democracy Now! In a bipartisan effort, the Senate voted Wednesday to advance a resolution to end military support for the Saudi-led U.S.-backed war in Yemen. Are there any senators in the chamber wishing to change their vote? If not, the yeas are 63, the nays are 37. The motion is agreed to. This marks the first time in U.S. history the Senate has voted to advance a bill to withdraw military forces from an unauthorized war using the War Resolutions Act. Wednesday's vote sets the stage for a possible final vote on the measure within days. It's seen as a rebuke of President Trump's handling of the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Just hours before the vote, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Defense Secretary Jim Mattis held a closed-door briefing with senators, urging them to vote against the resolution. Administration officials warned senators not to compromise ties with Saudi Arabia over the killing of Khashoggi. They also said U.S. involvement in the war in Yemen is necessary to counter Iran's influence in the Middle East. The Senate bills co-sponsored by Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders and Utah Republican Mike Lee. This is Senator Sanders speaking from the Senate floor. It is a vote to demand that the humanitarian crisis in Yemen be addressed. It is a vote that will tell the despotic dictatorship in Saudi Arabia that we will no longer be part of their destructive military adventurism. And it is a vote, as Senator Lee just mentioned, that says that the United States Senate respects the Constitution of the United States and understands that the issue of war-making, of going to war, putting our young men and women's lives at stake, is something determined by the U.S. Congress, not the President of the United States. Wednesday's vote came after more than 50 prominent figures and former officials, including two former U.S. ambassadors to Yemen, signed a letter urging Senators Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer to end America's involvement in the Saudi-led war on Yemen, saying it would, quote, spell the likely end to the broader conflict. The Saudi-led war in Yemen has created what the U.N. calls the world's worst humanitarian crisis, with 14 million of Yemen's 28 million people on the brink of famine. A recent report by Save the Children estimates 85,000 children under the age of five have died from acute malnutrition brought on by the war. Okay, that was Democracy Now! with an update. And uh, again, here's Ro Khanna. And of course, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. Please rate and review us. And without any further ado, Ro Khanna. Thank you so much for no, coming thank back you. to the show. Um, I have a question. Do you ever sleep? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I get a good, good night's sleep. Okay, because you seem to be very busy and <laughs> you cover so many areas and it's really exciting, I have to say, just following your Twitter feed, it's like the breadth of um, 
of your of the issues that you take on, everything from foreign policy to domestic issues. You're kind. Oh well, but truth, just telling the truth. I have a, qu- a question: ha- Have your politics changed? Were you always this kind of progressive and this um, anti-war? Yes. I, if you look, I mean, I ran an anti-war primary against Tom Lantos in the Iraq War uh, when I was 27 and right. got crushed. But, um, you know, my politics and foreign policy have always been very progressive, given my grandfather, who spent time in jail during Gandhi's independence movement. And so when I would go to India, I'd he'd talk about his struggles. And so I've always had a focus on that. I, I, I think uh, my politics on economics uh, have become more progressive, but on foreign policy, I sort of always was very progressive. And what has changed? Um, what do you, what influenced your positions or your outlook on economic issues? I think just seeing the growing disparity in our country mm. uh, and and believing the um, sense that uh, our country is is deeply divided because of that economic disparity, both in my district and around the nation, and that this is such a central challenge uh, for us uh, in uh, having a inclusive, pluralistic America. Uh, I've just become much, much more aware over, I'd say, the last five years of uh, the decline of the middle class and the decline uh, of workers' rights and economic opportunity and wages for workers. And I'm going to ask you more questions about what you're working on, but I am curious about your grandfather. Can you tell um, me more about him and what he did and also the relationship you had and how he kind of imparted his values? Sure. I'm very proud of uh, his work. Uh, his name is Amarnath Vidya Lankar. He worked with Lala Lajpat Rai, who was a huge figure in the Indian independence movement, he spent four years in jail. Uh, my grandfather did between 1941 and 1945, wow. uh, part of uh, the Gandhi independence uh, movement. Uh, and I remember hearing uh, from my grandmother, who uh, lived a much longer life than mm. he did, about how uh, uh, she was basically raising uh, my mom and uh, my mom's siblings herself, and often for a year wouldn't see my grandfather when he was in in jail. Uh, and I knew my grandfather till I was about uh, nine or ten uh, uh, and remember him uh, telling stories about the Indian independence movement. But the broader influence uh, is probably his uh, being a legend in our family and hearing right. stories about him from my aunts and cousins and uncles and, and, and grandmother. And uh, the biggest way it shaped my uh, view is just the importance of politics, the the ability of politics to change the destiny of uh, an entire uh, nation, the, the uh, sense that uh, conviction-based politics can, can make a difference, and the, uh, the, the belief uh, that we need to be for uh, human rights uh, around uh, the world. Yeah, I love that term, conviction-based politics. Um, that's something I think we are seeing more and more. I mean, politicians often kind of pretend to have that, but I think that people like you and Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez, there really is, I think Ocasio-Cortez refers to like a moral clarity, um, which I think is is kind of shifting the discourse. I do. I th- I'm very impressed with uh, Alex and uh, th- some of the new members uh, that have come into Congress who... Uh, came despite the odds, uh, who didn't grow up thinking they'd be members of Congress. And sometimes 
there's it's good not to have that sense of entitlement or careerism. Right. It allows you to speak your heart and speak your mind. And I, I do think that, that uh, we are having uh, more and more folks with that kind of uh, a mentality, and folks are seeking uh, uh, a, a change towards uh, greater justice, both within the United States and abroad. And I, uh, I think there's a great idealism to a lot of people who have uh, – gotten involved more recently. Right. It's idealism, but what's so great about it is that it kind of pushes back on the narrative that these things are impossible, because there is this narrative that these are pie-in-the-sky, utopian pipe dreams, but what uh, you and other progressive um, representatives and senators, I think, are showing is that it's it's really it's a question of framing, and if we view things as possible, I mean, people would have said Medicare for all was a totally radical, impossible idea, and now it's gaining a lot of momentum. Um, so I think it's an it's things are I think there's a very healthy kind of outrage, um, and and things are being framed as rights as opposed to entitlements. Absolutely. I think the conversation on Medicare for all has shifted dramatically. Uh, people understand that. Uh, Medicare for All is not just about giving everyone the right to health care from the day they were born, but it's also pro-jobs and pro-competition right. uh, uh, that many of our startups uh, would be more successful if they didn't have to uh, have the burden of health care costs. So uh, I, I think uh, people uh, are shifting their perspective on some of these issues. Police brutality is another issue where I've noticed a large shift in uh, understanding uh, issues of uh, mass incarceration right. is a place where uh, folks have shifted their thinking. So uh, I, I do uh, applaud a lot of the activists who brought about that change. Right. And can you talk about the Prescription Drug Price Relief Act that you uh, have introduced and what that does? The act is very, very simple. Uh, it basically says that uh, Americans shouldn't pay more for drug prices for their drugs than people in other parts of the world, uh, industrialized countries. So it looks at Britain, France, Canada, Japan, Germany, and what people are paying there. It takes the average price, and it says Americans shouldn't pay more than that average price. And if they are paying more than that average price, then we ought to take away the monopoly grant that we've given the pharmaceutical mm. and open it up to generic competition. Uh, and I think this is something everyone can understand. I mean, if you're paying uh, more uh, than people in France or Germany, you should have the right to buy the generic drug. Uh, and uh, this is something uh, that uh, really has resonated across the aisle. Right. I mean, but I have to, I, in all fairness, um, there is, a, you tweeted the other day, let me get this straight. Dylan Scott, uh, who's at Vox, Dylan yeah. St uh, Scott says economists fear Bernie Sanders and my legislation will mean U.S. prices come down and then drug companies will be making a lot less money. And then you say, are you kidding? That's the whole point of the bill. Representative Khanna, other possible side effects uh, of this bill include saving lives. Um, and so it's, it's just funny. These are this is a great thing. And they, they talk about it as if it were a bad thing. Absolutely. I mean, they're saying that uh, pharmaceuticals are going to make less money, and so there's going to be less innovation right. in new drugs. Uh, here's why that's a, that's a flawed argument. argument. Right, yeah. I mean, just, just on the substance. First, of the 210 drugs between 2010 and 2015 that were approved by the FDA, guess how many of them had NIH funding? All how 210. Many? 
All to understand, 100% of these drugs are funded by taxpayer research. Mm. Second, most of the innovation and research is happening by startups, or even if they're happening by large manufacturers, uh, the, the funding for that is based on the adoption of use, not about their ability to make excessive profits. Let me give you a concrete example. Uh, there's a new technology of T-cells being able to mm. cure uh, leukemia. Now, if you're a venture capitalist and there's a company that says, we're going to have this new cure for uh, blood cancer, for leukemia, using T-cells, are you going to say, we're not going to invest in that technology because you're not going to make uh, excessive profits uh, five years out? Or are you going to say, well, if hundreds of thousands of people start using that technology, that's a smart bet we're going to invest Anyone who knows the venture capital industry knows that it would be the latter. They invest not based on profit margin. They invest based on adoption and users. And so uh, this argument that somehow by uh, not allowing corporations to make excessive profits and limiting what shareholders and executives are going to pay, you're going to hurt innovation is just bogus. That's not how uh, people invest on, on, on innovation. Right. There's, a, of course, a, a really strong moral argument. I mean, it is, it is kind of crazy that we've accepted the fact that um, – People, I mean, people can die because they can't afford medication, right? People ration out their prescriptions. I mean, in, in, even with cancer treatment, it's really tragic and it is outrageous. And I think, as you said, it's something that uh, resonates with people across the aisle. What about your Yemen bill? The resolution explicitly acknowledges and it explicitly also recognizes that the 2001 authorization of force that the United States Congress passed does not apply to the Yemeni's civil war. And our military under the 2001 authorization of force has the full authority to take counterterrorism measures to deal with Al-Qaeda. But what our military is not authorized to do is assist the Saudi Arabian regime in fighting the Houthis. In many cases, the Saudis have aligned with al-Qaeda to fight the Houthis, undermining our very counterterrorism operations. And so this resolution makes abundantly clear that we cannot be assisting the Saudi regime in any of its fight with the Houthi regime, I reserve the balance of my time. Can you talk about that? The Yemen bill would basically stop us from giving uh, aid in refueling to, uh, to, to the Saudis and aid in intelligence. This is a huge famine that is potentially looming in Yemen. Uh, the Saudis are bombing the port of Hodeidah. As a result, we can't get food and medicine in. We just need the bombing to stop and yeah. to get food and medicine in there. Paul Ryan blocked uh, my efforts to get a vote in the House. This is unprecedented. In American history, never, never has the Speaker of the House and the majority denied a member of Congress a vote on matters of war and peace. This is basically rendering ineffectual the War Powers Act. And what the majority is saying, that if the President of the United States and the Speaker believe we should be in war, 
We should be at war. It doesn't matter what members of Congress think. And when history is written, they're not going to say Jim McGovern did this or Ro Khanna did this or Newhouse did this. They're going to say, how did the Congress not allow a vote while hundreds of thousands of kids were not allowed food and medicine? But here's what's very encouraging. Uh, Bernie Sanders has taken this up in the Senate, uh, and he has been extraordinary. This war was not authorized by the United States Congress was not voted upon by the United States Congress, and therefore is unconstitutional. He's gotten Robert Menendez uh, to flip and now support his bill. He's gotten Jack Reed, uh, who's moderate, to flip. Let us not forget that the founding fathers of this country put the awesome responsibility of war and peace into the hands of the U.S. Congress Article 1 of the Constitution clearly states that it is Congress, 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 not the president who has the power to declare war. And I think he may have the votes today or tomorrow. If he does, that would be uh, historic. This is an enormously important vote. I mean, right. it, would, it would be the first time the Senate uh, would be in opposition to a executive branch stopping a war. So I am watching that very closely uh, and uh, really applaud uh, Senator Sanders' courage on that. This is a vote that says to the world we are going to end the horrific humanitarian disaster that is killing tens and tens of thousands of defenseless children in Yemen. It is a vote which says that the time is now to sell, tell Saudi Arabia that we are not continuing to partner with them in this horrific crisis. How much do you think the recent news about Saudi Arabia and um, the killing of uh, Khashoggi has, has changed the view or has kind of pressured politicians to support this bill? It's made a huge difference uh, because it has captured for the first time uh, the mainstream uh, opinion on uh, Saudi's barbaric practices. And it's sad that uh, the uh, deaths of thousands of Yemeni's kids wasn't enough, that it really took the uh, uh, martyrdom of uh, Khashoggi uh, to raise the world's uh, awareness. But often it takes some type of incident like that uh, to make us more empathetic to the cruelty and suffering uh, of people in other other nations. And I'm glad, at least post-Khashoggi, uh, that members of Congress are asking the difficult questions. You uh, cited an article that is just so disturbing. Those who voted to block your resolution on ending U.S. involvement in Yemen received an average of $48,047 from the defense industry. Those who voted against received an average of $27,505. Um, this is how campaign finance reform is linked to foreign policy. That's so transparent. It is. I, and that was not something that I found. It was a, uh, I, or I commissioned. It was an independent journalist. Right. Sludge. Who, I think who, it's Sludge. Who, who did that. Yeah. And Donald Shaw at Sludge. Um, the Sludge analysis shows that lawmakers with large contribution, campaign contributions from the defense industry are more likely to defend the U.S. military's relationship with Saudi Arabia. It shocked me. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, How overt it was, yeah. I, it, it, The ability to have moral compartmentalization 
uh, is what is uh, uh, scary uh, in in our uh, Congress. I mean, if someone actually uh, felt that their votes or decisions were leading to the deaths of children in Yemen, uh, they wouldn't be casting these votes. But what we have done is almost Kafkaesque is uh, managed to uh, divorce responsibility for decision-making uh, with moral consequence. And, and, and so uh, people are, uh, you know, going about their lives, taking their campaign contributions, casting votes, uh, and not linking it to the, uh, the, the incredible suffering. But and I think just, they do link. I mean, I just think they don't care. I think that well, they're maybe, willing maybe to... Trump doesn't care. I mean, oh, Trump, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. You know, but, Trump but doesn't I, care. Some, you know, some of these members, they, yeah, some of them don't care, but some of them, uh, it's just a willful uh, moral blindness uh, that uh, they don't want to deal with it, don't want to read it, they don't want to confront it. Yeah, or just the money is more important to them than I think. I mean, I think for many of them, I think for most of them, because you, you'd have to be so ignorant. I mean, money is more important than children's lives. And, you know, it, over 80,000 um, children in uh, in Yemen have been starved to death. And I think these people, I'll say it, you don't, you don't have to say it so you don't have awkward interactions uh, uh, in Washington. But I think, you know, these people just have blood on their hands. Um, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I guess I uh, tend to still be an optimist about humanity and hope that we can uh, uh, get people uh, to, uh, to see the right thing. Though I've I, I got to tell you, Trump's statement on Yemen uh, was an insight probably in how oh, yeah. some of these folks think because the you know usually when Mattis or even Pompeo speak they give lip service to human rights and they say oh the humanitarian condition was spe- was improving I mean Trump's statement was basically yes they're killing people yes it's awful it's an awful world and we're going to support them anyway because we get money from Saudi yeah. Arabia I mean it was it was almost uh, brutally honest uh, about uh, how some people view the world. Yeah, I think most people, I think most Republicans, I think most politicians honestly view it, view it that way, sadly. And I actually had a, um, an Intercept journalist, John Schwartz, come on the show because he had written a piece about the honesty. He kind of f- f- jokingly said, this Thanksgiving I'm happy for Trump's uh, Trump, the most honest president. And he, he, we obviously acknowledge that he's a... A, he lies constantly, but he also does something that other people don't. He he really offers. He takes the mask off politics because well, we, he does. I mean, he's a rea- you know this is the he's providing basically the crude uh, explanation for real politics or the, the this uh, uh, power based view of uh, of foreign policy. And it's it, in and in some ways the situation is in Yemen is linked. Uh, to the situation of tear gassing of uh, the uh, of, of folks uh, throwing rocks around the border. Uh, and the reason they're linked is we have to fundamentally ask a, a basic question in this country, and that is if we believe in our Declaration of Independence that all human beings are created equal, do we believe that there are such things as rights for non-Americans? And I, I really think that that is uh, it's a question the Supreme Court really hasn't uh, uh, weighed in on what are the rights of people uh, overseas. Uh, and uh, you look at the America First rhetoric, and there's just a sense that those rights uh, don't matter. And what matters is just the rights of Americans. Uh, and I, I think those of us who believe in human rights say, no, the rights of people 
uh, overseas. They are human beings with right. uh, infinite human worth, just like any human being right. born in the United States. Right. And yeah. So, human rights don't stop at a border. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, the United States has caused so much of the instability and violence that people are fleeing. Uh, you know, and certainly in Honduras, yeah, yes. and 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 uh, Guatemala, of course. I mean, it's not a, it's a uh, a, a terrible uh, history, and because of our obsession in the Cold War to to prevent uh, uh, communism in any place, uh, right. we aligned with uh, militias and right. really death bad squads, actors. and yeah, even the, the more recent coup in um, in Honduras. I just actually got an email. There's breaking news. Um, that Hakeem Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries defeated Barbara Lee in the battle for Democratic caucus chair. Do you have anything to say about that? Very disappointing. I was, uh, in the, uh, voting, of course, uh, and, uh, uh, Barbara Lee had an array of 35 people behind her. Uh, she is a profile in courage. Uh, she is one of the, uh, truly, uh, outstanding representatives uh, in Congress. Uh, she represented a progressive future. Uh, I, I, it was a close vote, uh, but it shows that uh, uh, we still have a lot of work to do to build a uh, progressive majority. Yeah, that is really disappointing about Barbara Lee. And she's, I mean, has a lot more experience than Hakeem Jeffries. She's been... She does. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it just is... So difficult, and I, my heart breaks really on that vote. I really wanted Barbara. I was all out for Barbara. I think I was the first member of Congress to endorse her, uh, and uh, I can't think of someone more de- deserving. And you talk to Barbara Lee, and she'll tell you when you're uh, an African American woman, uh, getting to Congress is hard enough, and then clawing your way to uh, to a position where you can run for leadership is. Uh, is so hard, and uh, I, I feel like she really deserved that position. Yeah. Uh, can anything be done? You know, we can uh, ask her to run again when there's another opening. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, there is something to persistence. Uh, Bernie Sanders l- ran, I think, four times for office right. before he won, and I ran twice before I won. And so, uh, you know, we I, I, I know Barbara Lee is going to, continue to uh, to be a very uh, bold voice. But I have to be honest, it's uh, it's very disappointing uh, that she didn't win. And why do you think it happened? What was the thing that got... Um, I think it suggests that, there's, that, that there, there probably are more uh, moderates in the House caucus uh, than progressives still. I mean, I, I, I don't see any other explanation. I think this was a fairly uh, ideological vote uh, and... Uh, uh, there are probably uh, more moderates in the House, which means that we're, we're going to really have to fight as a progressive caucus uh, for our values. Right. And Hakeem Jeffries, I, uh, he called, by the way, he called uh, Bernie Sanders a gun-loving socialist with zero foreign policy experience. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah, he- yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a really disgusting smear um, and very wow. red-baiting. Um well, back in 2015, he said, um, Hakeem Jeffries said, let's be clear, a self-described socialist will not be the next president of the United States. Oh, but of course, you know, he also said Hillary Clinton is not a blank check. She's money in the bank. So, of course, he was wrong about that. I love the idea. I love when people say he's not even a Democrat. 
uh, as if that's a weakness. I mean, I think one of the strengths of, of Sanders is that he has so much crossover appeal, and people, I think, like that he's an independent. I, well, look, in, in, in our primaries are open to, uh, uh, to independence, and that's a good thing that, uh, uh, y- you know, we allow independence to vote in many of the primaries. I think it's a problem where states don't allow right. independence to vote. Right, yeah. So I actually saw Sanders speaking on Monday, and he mentioned... And by the way, when we talk about reforms, I hope many of you know that right here in New York State, you have one of the most reactionary uh, election processes in the entire country. All right, that if somebody wants to vote in the Democratic primary and say they are an independent or they want to switch parties, they have to do it something like eight months before the primary. Okay, 13, sorry. I mean, it is clearly an incumbent protection policy, and I believe now with Democrats in New York State now controlling the House and the Senate, there's going to be some changes there. But please, please keep your eye on that issue. It is very important. You know, we talk about voter suppression all over the country and Republican governors doing their best to make it hard for people of color or poor people to vote. Keep your eye on New York State and help change what goes on here as well. He mentioned what he was putting forward about Yemen. And he said amazing things about foreign policy. He, you know, he called out the double standards, the the treatment of both Saudi Arabia and Israel. And that's a really, for many people, that's a toxic issue. Um, that's something I think that's changed recently. But, I do think so. I mean, yeah. look, I, I I had spoken out as uh, at Senator Sanders about uh, the uh, disproportionate use of force. Uh, uh, against uh, some of the protesters, uh, oh, yeah. about uh, six months ago, and I don't. I think there is when 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 someone stands for human rights, you have to be for human rights uh, right. across the board. I've, whether that's in India and criticizing Modi, right. uh, whether it's in the United States and con- criticizing uh, Donald Trump, or, uh, or or if it's criticizing. Uh, abuses in uh, right. in the Middle East. Yes, and, that's, and, right. and I think Senator Sanders comes from that perspective of uh, of conviction, uh, and and he really may be a peacemaker because uh, uh, he um, it, it understands uh, uh, what's at stake. Right, and he lived on worked on a kibbutz also, which is interesting. Bill McKibbins, I think, said you know that it's, it's ironic, but also fitting that it was a Jewish. Uh, senator who really started the much-needed critique of Israeli policy. And as a Jew, I'd like to just make the point that, of course, critiquing Israeli policy is not anti-Semitic. Also, I mean, it's not even in... I I think when people are hawkish about Israel, uh, it's like being hawkish about Iraq, uh, about the United States and Iraq. Uh, It's ironically not in the national interest um, or security interests of the countries. A large number of uh, uh, certainly Jewish Americans are, and progressive, they don't agree with Netanyahu, and they want to see Israel have peace with Palestine. And there's a person I admire in my district, Urban Fetterman, who uh, is a venture capitalist and is funding uh, the uh, startups of Palestinians. And to me, that is, uh, those are the efforts of, 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 of peace, of entrepreneurship, of innovation, of uh, research, of having Nobel laureates that represents the best of Israel, 
and and I would think that's what Israel would want to be known for in in the world. Their intellectual contributions, their economic contributions, not uh, be uh, equated with uh, violence and uh, and uh, and security issues. And so I uh, I I think that this is a, the next generation uh, is going to change. Uh, uh, this perspective, and it was, as you put it, 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 it I think would put uh, Israel in a more secure uh, position. And can you talk about the announce uh, the decision to move Amazon uh, open headquarters in New York? Well, the Bezos bill, I think, was one of the great successes that Democrats uh, have had in this last Congress. I mean, Bernie Sanders and I introduced it. We said something very simple uh, that. Uh, U.S. taxpayers shouldn't be subsidizing the pay of workers who are working at the richest company in the world. If you make a trillion, if your net worth is a trillion dollars, which is the market cap of Amazon, you should be able to pay your workers so they don't have to rely on food stamps uh, or basic public benefits. In response to that legislation, Jeff Bezos personally uh, credited Senator Sanders in our legislation and raised wages uh, to fifteen dollars. 350,000 people got a raise uh, because of that. Now, they took away some stock options, uh, but we have been assured that the vast majority of people uh, are going to be making more money uh, than less money. And I've had people tweet at me about Senator Sanders and uh, our, my legislation that they actually have gotten this raise and it's made a difference in their lives. Right. This is the definition of effectiveness. I mean, people right. often say Senator Sanders isn't effective. Well, which other Democrat uh, has gotten actually a raise for hundreds of thousands of people? And he did this not just with Amazon. He's done this with uh, with Disney. And I was disappointed uh, that Amazon uh, basically put their uh, headquarters in New York after uh, making this whole spectacle that they were going to go in communities left behind. And you would think maybe they would go to a historically black college or university and, and partner with them or would go into a rural town and show they can create jobs there. Uh, instead, they go to uh, this uh, to New York. And then, of course, they're just outrageous that you've gotten – uh, tax dollars subsidizing a trillion-dollar uh, corporation. It's tone deaf. I, it reminded me, for basketball fans, when LeBron James did uh, the decision, and it was a spectacle. Every basketball fan knew he was going to go to the Miami Heat, but he <laughs> sort of teased the country, thinking he'd go everywhere, and uh, and really uh, uh, made uh, didn't wasn't a, a, a proud moment for him. And I think Amazon has made not just a bad decision, but a, a PR decision that isn't going to serve them well and undercut something that they did, which was well, which was getting giving $15. So you guys are going to have to put uh, forward another bill to, to pressure him, I think, right? Well, I, I think we've got to have a bill that's not going, that's going to, to, to uh, prevent uh, companies from getting these uh, public benefits from uh, state and local government. I mean, there's got to be something, uh, that makes that illegal. The the money that they're giving Amazon is absurd. It really is. I mean, it's it's not uh, what we should be focused on. It, it is uh, uh, it, what we should be focused on is putting this money into creating high speed broadband and creating uh, economic development and opportunities in communities left behind, not subsidizing right. trillion dollar companies. And uh, and I think Bezos and others should be have a more enlightened view of their of the future. If they don't want a backlash against technology, if they don't want a backlash uh, against uh, uh, the 
uh, changing economy, they need to make sure that every community and every person is included. So this is not in their long-term self-interest. I thought Bezos got that when he raised wages to $50. It's sort of like one step forward, one step back. I think it shows, I mean, which isn't surprising that and this is why pressure is so important. It's not really, he hasn't had an ideological shift. It became politically um, expedient for him to change the wages. So yeah, you, you, and, you and Sanders are going to have to just keep following him and his decisions. We're, we're not, new, we're not, we're not letting up. And, yeah. you know, one of the things I'm so passionate about is bringing real tech jobs and economic opportunity to communities and places left behind. I've been going to Paintsville, Kentucky and Beckley, West Virginia and in Columbia, South Carolina, Detroit, Flint, Michigan, yeah. uh, Jefferson, oh Iowa. Flint. So uh, that's, that's, disgrace, that's really what we we need to be focused on. And I've been supporting uh, Ocasio-Cortez's call uh, for a select committee on uh, Green New Jobs for two reasons. One, uh, we need to show that there's an urgency to this climate change issue, and it doesn't. We, it can't move it at the glacial speed that some of these committees uh, in Congress move at. Secondly, we need to link environmental legislation to jobs, and there's a great win-win. We can say, look, we can put people back to work in rural America, in communities left behind, in minority communities, doing the work of uh, building a clean energy future, building an energy efficiency future. Uh, we have uh, many new members who are saying at least they won't take uh, fossil fuel money. Of course, I take no contribution right. from any uh, political action committee or lobbyist. Right. So You're that head I, of, by head definition curve, in, yeah. includes oil companies. But tackling climate change can be a win for putting America back to work. I, I know that that's a, uh, a strong message uh, that will uh, resonate across this country. And I, I think it puts us on the offensive politically on climate change instead of always being on the defensive where the Republicans say, oh, they're killing jobs. Also, it's pretty, as you pointed out, I mean, it's pretty expensive to deal with these climate disasters. It is. And it's real now. I mean, I, uh, you know, it's no longer uh, abstract. It's, right. uh, uh, it, you know, you have these awful uh, wildfires in my home state in California, which are, uh, of course, linked to climate change. You've had hurricanes because of warming uh, of water uh, that are far more severe. I mean, people understand that uh, the weather patterns have led to far more severe catastrophic uh, climate events. And this is something that's affecting people. The crops are being affected. There, uh, Different animals in different communities are being affected. Fishing is being affected. So I, I, I think this has gone from an abstraction to something that uh, ordinary Americans are uh, experiencing. Of course, there's still the uh, ignorance and people, you still hear about colleagues, someone will say, oh, but uh, I could use a little bit of uh, climate change. I've got to, you know, my winters are too cold. And, uh, the, 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 you know, the problem is uh, there's still ignorance, but uh, people say, how do we overcome that? I, I said, uh, ignorance has uh, probably been a defining characteristic through a lot of history. I mean, it was, there, were, there was ignorance at the time of uh, Copernicus and Galileo and, uh, you know, the, the fighting on the side of uh, uh, reason and truth is, uh, is never easy. And it, it requires great persistence, but 
the history uh, of humanity still shows eventually uh, truth and reason win. So the question is, will it win fast enough in this case for us to uh, survive in crisis? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is hopefully people will realize the wealthy will realize that, you know, of course, there's environmental racism, environmental classism that kind of haves and have nots uh, experience these things differently. But ultimately, everyone's going to suffer the climate disasters. So I think hopefully they'll, yeah. they'll realize. Um, I mean, the challenge is that the, the those who are wealthy are more uh, insulated from the impact uh, right, initially, course. right? I mean, right. the people who suffered the most in the wildfires were the elderly in communities where they couldn't leave. And uh, if you're wealthy and aren't living in those type of communities, you don't feel the impact quite as much. But ultimately, uh, even the wealthy are... Uh, facing the economic consequences. And so uh, we just have to, to, to hope that the powerful interests in this country realize that uh, this is something that's going right. to uh, affect all of humanity. Right. And not just economic. I mean, it's a question of survival, right? I mean, again, like the wealthy are more insulated, but ultimately if waters rise, you know, they have to, the environment is something that at some point becomes equal opportunity uh, if like the planet uh, is no longer livable. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you you linked to um, this is fascinating. The Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation, EFF, uh, published something. The unresolved issue of Verizon throttling Santa Clara's fire department shows why ISPS need rules. Can you talk about that? I don't 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 even saw that. But firefighters who were fighting these California wildfires uh, weren't allowed uh, to have access to uh, the internet that they needed. So uh, that, that, that they were, uh, there's a classic case of throttling, and it's a case of why the internet uh, is a common carrier under Title II of the Communications Act. I mean, if telephones were uh, regulated because people felt that uh, everyone should have access to, to a telephone, the internet is the same way. Imagine if a phone company didn't allow a firefighter or an ambulance to make a phone call. There would be outrage. Well, we should have the same outrage that uh, people didn't have access, rescuers and first responders didn't have access to the Internet. And all net neutrality says is that type of action is illegal, that uh, Internet service providers are common carriers like telephone companies, that they have a public responsibility. Right. I mean, it's a public safety issue. It's a public safety issue, and it's a uh, it's a, a, a public grant. We're giving them the right. space, the land, to put their... Uh, their uh, uh, their wires that are transmitting this information. That's a that's a public grant that the United States is giving them. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think again, it's it's just it's insane how overtly people will put profits before human lives. I mean, these are this is a, these are firefighters trying to put out fires which kill people. Yes. Um, and then you uh, you have called for Bernie Sanders to run for president. I have. I, I think he will be transformational in terms of uh, his economic message and his foreign policy message. He can link foreign policy populism with economic populism and redefine uh, this nation uh, to return to our founding ideals. And really, uh, uh, I, I view him as a, a transformational figure. And if he were president, uh, we could do uh, a lot of good for this nation and the world. Yeah, and what do you say? I mean, I, I think that he's the most electable against Trump for many reasons. You know, he's outside of the political beltway culture. He's an out, you know, he's anti, 
he appeals to a lot of the anti-status quo um, desire that people have. Uh, he's extremely consistent. I mean, the media has already started the smears against him or, or you know, I shouldn't say that they haven't let up um, the, the smears that ha- that started during the primary. Um, do you have any responses to the claims, to the to the arguments against him? I've, I've always been amazed by the vitriol yes. uh, yeah. against him. I mean, I had people talking about uh, running against me because I was supporting or suggesting Bernie Sanders. And I said to them, think about this. There's 30 or 40 people who are going to run for president. That means there are going to be Democrats supporting 30 or 40 different candidates. Uh, why wouldn't you just let everyone support the candidate they like? And then uh, we can all come together, at least I plan to, once there's a nominee. If it's not Bernie Sanders, I would support the person. But there's this – if I had tweeted out that I support, uh, you know, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris or – Beto O'Rourke or any of these other people, I wouldn't have had that kind of uh, vitriol by by some of these folks. And so I don't understand it other than to think that uh, Sanders uh, hasn't played the career game. Uh, he's not a flatterer by disposition, and he's probably a threat to uh, certain established uh, power centers. I think he is. And, and the irony, though, of course, is that, I mean, I think the primary would be hard for him. But the general, I think he do so much better in. And people people don't remember, either don't remember, don't understand, or are just being disingenuous when they say, oh, he didn't win the primary, how can he win a general? Don't they understand that different people vote in the general, that independents are growing, and that he has more reach... Um, he has more crossover and I, and I think, appeal. And I think his message really will resonate in yeah. places like Michigan, Wisconsin, exactly. Ohio, Minnesota. And those right. are the states. The look, look Florida, Florida, I hope we win, but if Florida is going is still, as this election showed, is still a tough state. Right. And Ohio is still tough. So, so that means we're really going to have to win the Midwest. We're going to yes. have to win Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. And uh, I, I think Sanders resonates yes, in, in those areas. Yeah. I think he's I really do think he's I mean, I, I keep saying this. I love Sanders. I love his politics. I love his policies. I love his style as a New Yorker. But but that aside, he's to me, it's so strikingly obvious that he's the most viable um, opponent to Donald Trump. I had uh, Nathan Robinson, who's the editor and founder of Current Affairs, which is a great magazine. And he has a yeah. very great he is. I'll send it to you. He's in a great article where he just goes through all the reasons Sanders is the only one who can beat Trump. He goes wow. through the other yeah, alternatives. Yeah. And he says the one thing is the age thing. But he, as he pointed out, first of all, Sanders only four years older than Trump, and he's so much more fit than Trump. And Nathan said that if Trump tries to play the age card with him, that Sanders should just challenge him to a game of one-on-one basketball, uh, yeah. which well, I think would, I would be a great I, idea. I wouldn't want to play Sanders at one-on-one basketball, exactly. but that basketball is, is not exactly a, uh, a strong suit for me. You're very tall, though. You're very tall. You're very tall. You have that. Yeah, well, that's uh, that you only know, my ability much, to so jump much. is not is not great. But <laughs> right. the uh, but Sanders has got you know he is very athletic and he runs and yeah. he's uh, in in great shape. Yeah. Who, let me ask you this: Who else uh, uh, do you uh, think is a uh, going to be a strong contender for uh, uh, for the nomination? I mean, strong contender for the nomination as opposed to a strong uh, candidate. Like yeah. in the primary, I don't yeah. honestly. I mean, who like there's Gillibrand. There's I mean, I think Gillibrand maybe um, maybe Warren, but I think she really. 
I, I think she, for better or for worse, I think the, the DNA issue with Native American right. heritage really was a setback for her. It was just bad and, PR. Um, and what do you make of all this buzz around Beto? And I know some of the Sanders well, folks. Well, you know, it's funny. It's I think it's... Oh, there was one of the smears that came from, of course, New York, the New York Times. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It says, like, Sanders, you know, is a progressive lion, but but is his roar isn't as loud or something. And it made the ridiculous argument that he's being outflanked on the left by um, Ayanna Presley, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Beto O'Rourke. Now, Whoa. yeah, I mean, I, it's amazing. I tweeted the other day, there's a picture of, ba- no no disrespect, Beto, and I know there's a lot of, I mean, sucking up to Israel. Look, I like but- Beto, I, I, I did the no pet caucus, but Beto uh, is uh, fairly moderate in his, in, oh, in his yeah. voting record. Yeah. He voted for TPP and right, other things. Exactly. I mean, I, I, and I, I, I supported him very, very strongly course, against, Cruz, against Cruz, but right. there's a difference between, uh, between that and... Uh, what's progressive in Texas and what's progressive exactly. in the nation. Exactly, right. And there's, right, I, I tweeted a photo of him meeting with APAC people talking about the special relationship with Israel, and I was like, here's Beto, uh, you know, outflanking Sanders on the left, apparently. <laughs> and then, of course, I mean, Ocasio-Cortez is, is amazing, um, but she's just started. She's not going to run for president. Ayanna Presley, most people don't know uh, who she is. She doesn't have any name recognition. Um, and Beto just lost. I mean, he did. He did a wonderful job, but he lost his um, his his race. Right. So I yeah, think I mean, that there's, a, there's an effectiveness that uh, Sanders has, and I've now worked with him on a number of right. issues on the prescription drug bill, on the Amazon bill, on the Walmart bill, on uh, on Yemen. Uh, and ultimately, I think what uh, is moves people about Sanders is uh, not just the rhetoric. It's the fact that he has a record of yeah. an extraordinary uh, amount of accomplishment right. over 20, 30 years. Yeah. And you, 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 people, I believe, and this could be uh, just my bias, I think post-Trump people are going to be looking for substance. They're not going to just want... Uh, someone who gives a good speech right. or inspiration or uh, someone who can be uh, a sensation in the media or social media. Right. I think they're going to want to know, what do you stand for? What specifically are you going to change about our economic and our foreign policy uh, vision? I, I, you know, if not, you know, I obviously am very supportive of Sanders, but I, I, I actually give Elizabeth Warren, even though there are places I disagree, I think she's also has a, a substantive right. sort of approach. But right. to me, uh, the substance is really going to be ma- matter post-Trump. Right. Uh, but and- it's also the, I really think, you know, for better or for worse, um, elections are based on affect and they are kind of popularity contests. And I think <laughs> I think that people really, I think Sanders exudes, and this is why he's a threat, and this is why there's vitriol, he exudes authenticity. And consistency. And you see him, you could do like a, a, you know, a a mashup, a montage of him saying the same things in, in like starting in the 70s, I mean, and of course in the 80s. And he doesn't, I think that people, I really think that, you know, there are people who would have voted for him and then voted for Trump. And people use that against Sanders, which is ridiculous, because what Sanders does is he speaks to many audiences, but one of those audiences are are the kind of the disaffected, disgruntled people who feel like the system isn't working and they voted for Trump. But of course, and Trump speaks to them too. The difference is Sanders is not lying. Trump is. And the big difference is that Sanders is saying blame, you know, inequality, 
blame uh, uh, the billionaires, you know, blame greed. And Trump is saying blame Muslims and Mexicans. And that's a huge difference. And I think that the fact that they speak to um, an overlapping crowd and take them in totally different directions is so important. Um, and you talked about the the Rust Belt appeal that he has. And, you know, there was something so moving uh, when he was doing those town halls with Chris Hayes and he did one um, with coal miners. And you yeah, saw him he, you saw him transform a person on stage, someone who said something anti immigrant, I think called them aliens. And you saw him make the case. He didn't treat this person with contempt. He didn't call the person, you know, a, a racist bigot. Um, he just made his case, spoke to her on, on her level where she was at, and you saw her literally change right there on the stage. And, and you know, he, I think he just has an ability to speak to people. He has a very regular down-to-earth affect. Um, and I think people, I really do think that he and Trump both are anti-status quo, although he really is, and Trump in many ways is not. But they both are seen as people who violate taboos and say the things that no other people will say. And I really think he's just, again, I love him and I love his politics. But even that aside, I mean, there are people who whose politics I love, but they wouldn't be as great, as um, competitive against Trump. I just think he really is the only person who has a chance. Um, right. him. Um, well, I, I, I uh, agree with all the, uh, the, the what, you, what you said, other than maybe the last part. I'm hoping that if by some chance he's not the nominee, we still can defeat Donald Trump. Yeah, but, that, uh, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I certainly uh, agree with you that he uh, has this crossover uh, appeal, and that's a good thing. I mean, look. Of course uh, it's a good thing. Uh, that's the how fact you that win. Trump voters may support Sanders, I thought that's exactly Exactly. Part of what we need. No, that's what Obama had, right? right? Obama had. There were a lot of people who voted for Obama and Trump, and there were a lot of people that uh, Obama was able to get who voted for Trump. So if we have another candidate who could get Trump voters, uh, it seems that's a a good thing. No one would say uh, Obama uh, was uh, wrong or right. compromised who he was by getting Trump voters. Right. I mean, it's absurd. That is the one. That's how you win elections: is that you compete. Um, with, yeah. with, and the other issue is that there's this very, I don't know how mainstream it is. It's very much on Twitter, but there's this narrative that when you go for the coal miners, you're throwing other people under the bus. Uh, you're throwing people of color and women and LGBTQ people under the bus. And it's simply not true. There's not a single thing that Sanders or the real progressive left advocates that doesn't help disproportionately help people of color, women, LGBTQ. It helps everyone, but it helps them even more. Um, it's a very dangerous narrative. Uh, I don't know how much, it, how popular it is against, uh, again, off the internet. But, um, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I, I, and I don't think uh, anyone of good faith can, in, can doubt Senator Sanders' commitment to civil rights. And he's acknowledged that he needs to uh, to, to, to surround himself with... Uh, 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 with people uh, of, of diverse backgrounds right. that speak uh, uh, um, more uh, inclusively about those issues. I, I think it's refreshing. I think it's uh, uh, introspective, and uh, all of us have uh, uh, blind spots. I mean, in my case, I was on panels, and someone on my team said, do you realize that this is the fourth panel you've done where they have all men, and it just didn't even occur to me. And so then we made a change. I said, okay, I'm not going to do panel discussions now if there's not diversity. So I think what's important is uh, the introspective 
uh, ability, and I think Sanders Sanders has shown that. Yeah, and being open, and you know, when there was a Black Lives Matter protest, he kind of immediately um, put out a great criminal justice and racial justice platform back in the in the primaries. No, but yeah, I think that there's, um, you know, he doesn't his of course maybe his language on some things could be improved. But he also, I think, I mean, again, I, I had a guest on Liza Featherstone who made the point that given how much people follow what he says and given how much the media hates him and opposes him, it's almost it's amazing he doesn't have more gaffes, given that any time he says something that's at all remotely problematic, and often it's just manipulated and it's not problematic, it's amazing he doesn't have more of those things because there's just like, the, they, they watch him like a hawk. One example is how he um, he said something about moving beyond identity politics. And his whole point in saying beyond was saying we need diversity, but it's not enough. He wasn't saying we don't need diversity. It was a total distortion of what he said. Um, it was the opposite. You know, they made it seem like he was dismissing it. He was saying, no, we need the diversity. And on top of that, we need the policy that helps these communities. So, the, I mean, the media coverage and bias of him is really outrageous. You have the New York Times changing a headline and changing the content of an article. And then um, this is just an interesting thing that happened. They they were caught doing stealth editing, which is when you edit something without acknowledging it. You know, you don't say at the end of the article that originally this said blah, blah, blah. The public editor condemned it, said it was inappropriate. And the, the senior editors at the New York Times defended it. The original headline was... It, it started off with Bernie Sanders won victories via legislative side doors. And then they changed it to via legislative side doors, Bernie Sanders won modest victories. So they changed the order of it. And so like the first thing you see is no longer that he won victories. And they added the modest to it. They also edited the content of it. They took out a Jeff Weaver quote, which kind of was uh, flattering of, of Sanders. They also, um, John McCain had made a comment about how Bernie Sanders was um, the liberal mirror image of the Tea Party Republicans who opposed large-scale legislation. That was edited. That was edited. So it was just the liberal mirror image of the Tea Party Republicans. And yeah, they added a phrase about how he was at the margins. Yeah, it was really amazing. So they made these changes, and then they didn't acknowledge them, and then they defended not acknowledging them. So, yeah, people have to be on the lookout for this stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I think uh, we need to be make sure that the press is treating him fairly, but I also think that the world has changed and that uh, 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 social media and grassroots activists have a lot more uh, influence and now can get uh, information directly and probably having a, a few negative uh, lines in uh, in articles don't matter nearly as much as they used to, which is a good thing. Mm, and yeah. I think if Senator Sanders wins, it's going to be uh, because of uh, activists and bloggers and uh, independent journalists like yourself uh, uh, who help him get his message across yeah. directly to people. Well, you're more of an optimist than I am because I think that, sadly, those media narratives do have a big effect. But as you're, as you're saying, I think you're right. We need to just challenge that. Um, and, of course, my, my, I, I think they have to be discredited. Um, and the bias needs to be exposed. I think once we expose the bias, effectively, people will be more skeptical of it. 
Um, so I think that's really important. But uh, thank you so much, um, Congressman Khanna. Thank you so much for speaking to me again. And um, It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for your fans. work. Thank you for uh, being such a strong voice for uh, the progressive movement. Oh, thank you. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. You can find us on iTunes where you can rate and view us. You can find us on SoundCloud. We will be bringing you bonus, of course. Um, we're doing it a little differently. We're sometimes going to be doing extended interviews, but sometimes we're doing additional interviews. So we'll be giving you an additional interview this week um, with another guest. And um, you can wait and see who that is, but it's going to be really great. 